You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And this week we have a wonderful woman who is doing such great work in the world. Um, um, you know, I say every week that I'm excited about my guest and I am because I bring these amazing women to you. I mean, that's the truth. I may, I get to meet these amazing women and the range of women that I bring, you know, covers a number of um, subjects and areas and of work that I'm passionate about. But also, you know, when people are doing good social justice work in the world, it it really moves me to to find out more about how they are doing it, what they're doing and what they're bringing and the change that they're making. You know, I when people are doing that work, I realize they're doing it on behalf of all of us, you know. Um, there's only so much we can individually do. And so to to meet other people doing fabulous work like this is just um, inspiring. I met Leah a few years ago, and so I'm really excited to have her on the sh- on the show. And I will tell you about her and her work in a, in a minute. I wanted to go on to and start with what's driving me this week. Um, of course, it's International Women's Day was last week, and it's Women's History Month. And so we put our focus on women. We put our focus on what women's contribution has been. And um, what I love about Women's History Month is the plethora of events and occasions that are put in front of us to to be a part of and to go to so that we can empower ourselves as women and what we're up to in the world. And um, so I love Women's History Month in terms of that. I'm always looking for spaces where women can commune because I get I get sourced from that. You know, I come away feeling feeling better, if you like, feeling ready to face the many challenges that we have and feeling empowered to fulfill on the dreams that I have. And so, you know, this week... I'm participating in a couple of those things. The first one, you know, I told you about last week, is the I Am Mum Summit, which is um, run from the 13th to the 14th of March, goes live online, but is available to watch all the videos up until the 24th of March. So, you know, if you're a mum and you want to be inspired, and I, you know, as a mum who's, who my, my children are 15 and 11 now, and a working mum, I I find being a mum the most the most profound and inspiring things for me, and one of the most challenging, as well. And so I'm always looking for how I can be the best I can be at that. You know, I take my responsibility of raising my global citizens very seriously, and so how do I do that in the best way possible? So I feel privileged to be a part of a conversation which is about empowering mothers. And um, and so my my keynote goes up on Thursday the 14th 
So, but it's available, as I said, up until the 24th of March. I, you know, thank you to I Am Mum Summit for inviting me to be a part of that. But I'll put the link in my show notes for you to register for that. So if even if you are have a mother of young children, like whatever age your children are, it is an opportunity to to get new insights and then and then see new ways of being as a mother. So that's the first thing. The other thing that is the Women of the World Festival that is taking place in New York at um, the Apollo in Harlem. And of course, you know, I returned there. That's where I launched um, She's Got Drive in 2017 at the Women of the World Festival. Originally, Women of the World Festival, the WOW Festival, was started in London at the South Bank and um, by Jude Kelly and some and the people at the South Bank. Uh, and so I love WOW. I love that it's it has um, an exploration from a so- cultural and social perspective, political conversations about what it is to be a woman and what do we need to be paying attention to in this moment? How do we create sisterhood in the various things that we are facing? And um, how do we celebrate womanhood as well? And so it's such a rich space. It is f- predominantly, most of it is free, there are a couple of things that you pay for, but uh, the actual panel conversations is free. On the Saturday, there's a teen summit, so it's encouraging young women to come together as well. And the teen summit is put on by teens who are in the youth program at the Apollo. So if you are in the New York area, please head over to the WOW Festival in New York. There are also some WOWs around uh, well, but wow, Baltimore have done a wow in the past. So if you are ever come across a wow festival, please, you know, have a go, go and have a get involved, go and watch, go and participate. It You will leave full and inspired and just happy to have been a part of that. And I am there on Sunday. I will be doing a 20 minute, 30 minute session in the main stage and, uh, and I'm, I'll be there all day because I will not miss WOW. And uh, we've got Angela Davis is going to be the iconic. I, Angela Davis is going to be there on Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. Uh, so I'm excited about listening to her wisdom. So there's so many pearls of wisdom that you leave with. So those are things. It When I say being sourced, these kind of events other places where we can go that helps us walk away a little bit stronger you know um in terms of fulfilling the life that we want for ourselves and so I'm you know I'm so happy to be participating but if I wasn't on the main stage I'd still be there absolutely still be there um listening to all the um, different conversations and participating in that because it's, it's just a, it's just it's such a fantastic space such a fantastic space and I'll put a, together an episode on that afterwards too about wow so you can hear some of the inputs there and that's what's been driving me this week okay the other thing that I thought I'd do in this um, Women History Month is to pepper it with pepper my episodes with some quotes from a couple of quotes from some women and um you know I have to have Dr. Maya Angelou I just have to have one of her quotes and so I'm going to start with her and 
one of the things that she said about women is each time a woman stands up for herself without knowing it, possibly without claiming it, she stands up for all women. I believe that so much. Each time a woman stands up for herself without knowing it, possibly without claiming it, she stands up for all women. That's right. We make a difference every time we take a stand. And um, and so it feels appropriate as well that the woman that is my guest today um, follows that quote because she is taking such a powerful stand. Um, she's a black farmer and um, is doing such amazing work in the world. She's the author of Farming While Black and her name is Leah Penniman. So let me tell you something more about Leah. Leah is a black Creole farmer who has been tending the soil for 22 years and organizing for an anti-racist food system for 16 years. She began the food project in Boston, Massachusetts, and went on to work at farm school in, in Athol, Massachusetts, and Many Hands Organic Farm in Bar. She co-founded Youth Grow Urban Farm in, Worc in Worcester, Oh, do you say Worcester? Do you say here in the US? Worcester, we would say in the UK. She currently serves as founding co-executive director of Soulfire Farm in Grafton, New York, a people of color led project that works to dismantle racism in the food system through a low cost, fresh food delivery service for people living under food apartheid. apartheid. And she does training programs for black, Latinx and indigenous aspiring farmer activists. She has dedicated her life's work to racial justice in the food system and has been recognized by the Soros Equality Fellowship, the NYS Health Emerging Innovator Awards, the Andrew Goodman Foundation Hidden Hero Award, the Fulbright Distinguished Awards in Teaching Programs, the New Tech ne Network National Teaching Award, the Presidential Award for Excellence in Teaching, she was a New York finalist, and many, many others. She has also contributed to two published volumes and the you'll hear us talking about her latest book or a book that she wrote, Farming While Black, a Soul, Soul Fire Farms Practical Guide to Liberation on the Land. It is a beautiful book and we're going to talk about that more in the interview. So I'll give you Leah. Leah, thank you so much for being a guest on She's Got Drive. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's um, I'm really excited about you being on the show. You know, I, you know, I came across your book, you know, I kind of knew that you were writing it, but then I, you know, discovered it in the bookshop through my cousin. And it's just a very, I'm just really excited about you speaking about your journey and um, speaking about your beautiful book. Um, so I wanted to start with, you know, how you came to do what you do, you know, tell our listeners more about you and, and then we can spend some time talking about the book and then talking about success and then um, all, all the other kind of exploration that we normally do. Well, thank you. Uh, so a lot of folks might wonder why on earth it makes sense to write a book about farming. You know, we as African heritage people, especially may associate farming with a legacy of trauma and oppression. You know, slavery and sharecropping and all of that. So why on earth are we trying to reclaim that heritage? And I will say that farming really saved my life as a teenager. When I was 16, as one of the only brown children in my school and experiencing so much 
taunting and exclusion. It was the land and the earth that provided a sense of belonging for me. Uh, so I started working at farms during high school and kept it up all through college and always knew that was the contribution that I needed to make to the community as well as my own source of healing and strength. So a big part of starting Soul Fire Farm, which is a food justice oriented community farm that feeds folks who need, who need it most and also trains up this next generation of farmers, was to be able to pass on those gifts that I was so fortunate to receive as a young person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I want to say your book is such a beautiful book, number one. And I think. <laughs> no, really, it's so it's like it's a guide for farm for people who want to be farmers. It's a history book. It's a recipe book. It's a, um, it's a, a you dip into so many traditions. It's an understanding of the power of an, our ancestors and what that gives us as we today in our present life, as we kind of, uh, you know, figure out and allow them to enter into our lives. I mean, it's so rich in so many ways. I just, <laughs> congratulations on writing such a fantastic book. And you wrote it in five months. So. It's true. <laughs> can you share with us what you intended about the book? And, you know, share, just share more about the about this beautiful piece of art, really. And the gift. Oh, you're you're so kind, Shirley. Thank you for saying that. And it's true. You know, as a farmer, there's very little time that you can spend looking at a computer. So I had to squeeze that writing into. It came down to 40 days. It was two days a week over five months, and uh, you know, it was really just such a joy because the process of writing Farming While Black was taking all of these curriculum pieces and all of this knowledge that we had amassed over a decade plus at Soulfire Farm. You know, it's the work of teaching and raising up this next generation of black indigenous farmers in a way that's connected to our heritage and our culture and our story. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen anything like it before. You know, I, as I mentioned, had been farming for a long time. I went to all the conferences. I read all the books, you know, Elliot Coleman and Square Foot Gardening and all that. And it was frankly a very white dominated space. And I had moments of disillusionment of wondering if I had made the right choice in terms of going into sustainable ag or if I should switch over to housing rights or stopping gun violence or things that seemed more pertinent, you know, to folks of color. Right. And a wonderful mentor of mine, Karen Washington, who's a black farmer at Rise and Root Farm, she pointed out to me, she's like, if you add up all the violence combined against our people, right, we are still 10 times more likely to die from poor diets than we are from all those types of violence. Right. So food matters, like lands matters. And so this book was to really reclaim that we as black and brown people can have a dignified relationship with lands and that our ancestors have very much been part of shaping the sustainable ag movement so we're we're not starting over we're really building on this powerful legacy mm. and it's also really powerful in in um shifting our relationship to the land as you where you started was you know why would you why would we spend time in a space which has really been a place of real pain um historically but we can reclaim that and um in a different way like because um, whilst it was a source of pain, it's also a place where we became who we are too today. So 
Yeah, yeah it's really, really true. true. And my, my friend Chris Bolden Newsom put it so well. He said, you know, the lands was the scene of the crime. And it was, but she was never actually the criminal. So sometimes we get it all confused up with the location where that harm happened and the harm itself. And we actually, we don't want to deprive ourselves of the opportunity to provide good food for our communities, have our children have access to good soil and and clean air, just because of a legacy of trauma that happened in relationship to that space, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I love the way that that you put it and... um... All that was put to you and you're sharing with us. So how do we shift our relationship? To, how does farming and farming and black farmers start to shift the relationship more broadly that black communities have to food? Because as you said, a lot of the um, health disparities and health conditions that black communities are dealing with are sourced from the, the food that we're eating and what we're putting in our bodies. We've looked to that before in, a, in another episode and um so how do we how do we how does it do that you know if, if you increase the number of black farmers and you increase um and it, as you said it's a social justice issue how do we translate that to someone who's living in the city you know um yeah that's absolutely a great point and and you're right the health disparities that we see are stark and tragic you know if you are a black child in this country you have a one in three chance of going to bed hungry tonight as compared to and also egregious one in six chance of going to bed hungry as a white child um you know diabetes heart disease obesity cancer poor eyesight adhd all of these diet related illnesses disproportionately affect communities of color um and it's a system that we term food apartheid because it really relates to residential segregation and the type of resources available to various communities, you know, whether you have a supermarket or not, whether you have a farmer's market or not. And so we need to be at the consumer side as well as the supply side of this issue. And, and one thing that where we, one place where we really make the connection is we know that communities look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Black farmers, especially black farmers who have roots in the urban north and are choosing this life, this returning generation, choosing the rural areas, they're people that they have loyalty to, their family members, their connections that are going to turn into markets. Those are back in their own communities. Um, so the Soul Fire Farm, you know, was started by folks of color. All of our connections were in the south end of Albany. That's where we sell our food. And there's no other farms operating there because those neighborhoods are invisible to people, you know, who don't have a connection to them. So I think that, uh, you know, family loyalty might sound trite, but I really think it is a starting point for this grassroots infusion of fresh, healthy food um, into communities that have been deprived. Right. And how do we, um, I mean, your book is going to obviously going to come some way in education educating more broadly you know people who may never even have stepped on a farm right um, yeah. about obviously about black farming but what was your what were you hoping to accomplish in writing this book yeah well, i mean the obvious goal right is to support folks who might be considering farming from communities of color to really believe that this is a noble choice that it is standing on the shoulders of 
incredible ancestors and, and to give that practical support. So black and brown farmers are at the center. But I think also, you know, as my daughter Nishima said, she said the food system is everything it takes to get sunshine onto your plates. <laughs> and we're all invested in that, right? We are all invested in eating. We all stand on lands. And we're all responsible, frankly, for the heal and repair of a food system, which prevents some people from getting good food at all, you know, prevents certain farmers from having access to land, exploits farm workers. We're all part of that. And so the broader goal is to uh, inspire and encourage the population at large to take a leadership role in policy change and grassroots action to heal and repair the food system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love that we can be part of the change you talk about. It is a grassroots movement, um, the movement to to have more people, people of color be encouraged to be farmers and, um, and the whole movement around food because it's not going to come from the other direction. The truth is, you know, we have to empower ourselves right. and educate ourselves around our foods and the, and, the, and the food that our communities are choosing as well as because some do have access but are making the wrong choices and then there are those who don't have access you know um or choices that are harmful should i say i don't i don't like the kind of right and wrong dynamic but yeah. you know when we're informed perhaps we make better choices and um so i like you know i'm just i'm just such a fan anyway so <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I just don't know yeah i just am i just i think this is such an important important um piece of work that you're doing or the purpose fulfilling a purpose on this planet um that is underfilled so thank you for that and all your work i appreciate that it's been exciting because i'll tell you back in the 90s when i started farming it was not a cool thing to do and all this food stuff was really not in the public conversation so it's been a blessing that you know, folks are excited. It feels like there's a lot of momentum. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to travel all around the country since the book came out and talk to folks at places from universities to farming conferences to community gardens. And it feels like we're on the precipice of something really exciting and transformative. You know, people have been walking around with this sense that something's missing, that there's a little ache or space in their soul that they need to fill, but they don't know what it is that they're called to do to, to ease that and to fill that. And, and the land and farming and good food starts to get at that missing piece. So there's a, there's a hunger and an eagerness in the broader community to get connected to the land again um, and to have that wider sense of belonging and meaning that, and meaning that comes from like not just being wrapped up in our human world, you know, but being part of the earth. Right. And so one of the things you said earlier as well was, you know, um, when you were going to farming conferences and the kind of broader farming community, you didn't see yourself represented. And, and so um, how is that changing? Are you, do you bring a, you know, is there a whole group of you now that go to have a presence? <laughs> Are you like, I mean, in a more proactive way? Are you coming up with your own conferences as well. So they, they are much broader. I know that you run training programs at the farm, but much broader learning spaces of, and, and community spaces that can allow other people who are more wanting to dip their, their toe in it, you know, as a space okay. to go to kind of learn more broadly. How, how are you influencing the, the wider space? 
Yeah, it feels like really all of the above. You know, certainly my heart and my hands are are very focused on the on-farm training. And so we have 150 folks or so who go through our intensives every year. That's our, our really focused trainings for black and brown farmers. And then a bunch of people who come to one days, a few thousand who come to one days. But, but we are pushing out beyond the farm. You know, Karen Washington, who I mentioned earlier, she started a national conference for black farmers that has 500 to 800 people going every single year since 2010. Um, And I would say too, the white farming conference world is starting to shift, you know, just like many organizations are in a wake up period right now around diversity and equity and inclusion and all those buzzwords. Um, Some folks more sincere in their attempts for true inclusion than others, but that's happening in the farming world too. And so you see, you know, I was at the young farmers conference, I would say maybe 20% of the presenters, presented as people of color, you know, same thing with the NOFA Northeast Organic Farming Association conference. There was a good handful of panels that featured folks of color. And so I do think people are realizing that uh, it's been to their detriment, actually, to exclude and not think about the folks who created the sustainable food um, and agriculture systems in the first place. Good. Well, we're seeing a movement. Um, the, yeah. the growth of the movement, really, and you talk about one of that's one of your chapters. Chapters actually is about creating a movement. If you had to, given the size of the book, I think I'm. I'm actually, I know this is going to be an unfair question, but I'm still going to ask it. And you can, say, <laughs> if you had to say two or three things that you you want um, someone to take away, like a message that you want someone to take away from this book, what are the two three things you want to take away? Oh my, just three things. And that's what I said, it's an unfair question, but I just, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I I can do it. it. (laughs) Yeah, go on, go on. So thing number one would be that you are the black child of black goals and the earth has been calling you home and waiting patiently. And it is your time in this generation, this lifetime to heed that call in return. That would be the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing would be for folks, black, white, and every shade in between to understand, recognize, acknowledge the immense contributions of black agriculturalists to the technologies that we now use in the sustainable agriculture movements. And third would be to ignite a fire under all of us to make the food system fair in three ways. The distribution of food so that everyone has access to healthy, affordable, culturally appropriate food. The reform of land ownership. So we move from 98% of the land being owned by white people to actually distributing the land according to the population that we have. And the third being reforming labor law so that farm workers are truly protected and have a pathway to citizenship and to management and not being stuck in this wage labor cycle. So that would be, I know it was like six and three, but that was, those are my three. <laughs> oh my God. You rose to that challenge and you like totally like nailed it. Wow. So um, the first thing you talked about is like, reclaiming our, like, our relationship to the land i was so wow that's really moving and i it reminded me so i want to start one of the things because i was just thinking god it just wants me i just want to be on your farm um you should come we would love to have you I on would, the farm I but don't come now it's negative 11 yeah come not today 
not today. Mind you, it's better than Chicago today. Um, but one of the things, so just this is to do with our, our relation, our inherent relationship to the land, and and you know, so my parents are from Dominica. And I, in 2014, 2013, December 2013, I went out to see my mom who was on a trip there at the time. And I flew out and, you know, from the States. And I, as we were, you know, in the tiny little plane from Antigua, we were kind of flying. As, we, as I spotted the land of Dominica, it started already to be moved. I'm feeling quite moved right now. And, um, and as we touched down, I could feel, I could just feel it in my body as we touch down and for some people who might be not fully understand what I'm talking about but you know touching the land of my ancestors because my parents are from um felt like it was um I could feel it I could feel it in my body I felt like I had arrived somewhere like I arrived home and because I had you know and so yeah. when you say that I think there is something really powerful about the shift in that relationship to the land that people you know in that in the diaspora in the movement north as well to get away from the places of pain that that connection is also lost and so when you say that that's what it reminds me of it reminds me of that that part of our disconnect from food in our and then the choices that we're making is maybe something to do with that you know our disconnect from our um, connection with the land in that way that is so I think you're so right Shirley, because we talk a lot about you know good choices and how to inspire people to eat healthy and I will say we've had well over 2,000 maybe 3,000 children come through our farm for various every single child enjoys the good healthy vegetarian burritos and salad and I believe it's I mean we're good cooks for one and it's culturally appropriate food but also they grew that food they cook that food. And so I do believe that, you know, what's sort of framed as choice, also we need to pay attention to whether there's connection. Because if you're just sort of served up something, some limp broccoli that you have no relationship to, that's not going to be compelling as a diet shift. Right, right. So how are we really, and we have um, unlearned some, those, uh, so much in our communities and in our, families as, as families have become more um, apart from one another in just in the kind of move in the way that we've kind of geographically moved then there are those things that also aren't passed down or if we've left our, our, our abilities to prepare food as well has diminished and so with that our, you know our connection to food diminishes so there's so much um so much there how would you like to see your farm expand then and i do we will come to I do, I do want to come back and focus on you and your own personal journey as well but how <laughs> would you like to see your work expand and move forward oh i love that question because we debate that a lot you know there's because we live in a capitalist society there's quite a lot of pressure to think about improvements as growth and expansion mm -hmm. and we've landed on a model of expansion that looks more like the way the mycelium or the fungus in the forest supports the trees. So uh, for folks who don't know and haven't watched the TED Talks, Amazing TED Talks, trees do talk to each other and share with each other. And they use fungus as their conduit. So they're passing all these sugars and minerals and messages. Um, and, and they're part of this super organism. 
So in a similar way, we think of ourselves as one of these trees in the forest that is feeding these uh, younger trees and these sibling trees uh, so that projects inspired by Soul Fire Farm, fortified by Soul Fire Farm, are popping up all around the nation and even some internationally. You know, there's the High Hog Farm in Georgia and Harmony Farm in Homestead and in Massachusetts and Wild Seed in New York and Katatumbo in Illinois. So we have all these sibling projects that have been started or strengthened by alumni of our programs. And, and that's what we really hope for. We hope to one day you know, not be special because there's just so much of this amazing black and brown lead land-based work going on that you can't even remember a time when that wasn't the norm. Great. Well, that is a, that is a fabulous way to expand the work, you know, to, to have more and more people, you know, creating their own farms and that it, as you said, it's not, not the norm. And then you stay, cause the other thing, the risk of expansion in the kind of more traditional business sense where you just get bigger and there's more of you and it, is that you, you, you know, when we risk, we risk losing the heart, um, in, the, in our work when that can happen. Um, and we have seen that a number of times. So that's awesome. Yeah, we try to stay, as we call it, affectionately, a kitchen table-sized organization. So we want to make sure we can all get around the table and actually talk to each other about how big we want to be. Nice, nice. Uh, well, um, bold and beautiful and bijou is, um, is great. So it's a, let's come back to um, you individually then, Leah, and your own journey um, today. So you said in, earlier on that, you know, you, it saved you. It was a savior for you. And um, help us understand a bit more about that. You know, how, what was it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard for most of us to remember, but being a teenager is rough, you know, and especially being a mixed black teenager in a, conservative rural town is rough, you know, a lot of family troubles were going on, and I, I had gone to the forest for a long time as a source of solace. My sister and I, from when we were very little, you know, we would go make forts and try to live off the land and pick up trash and all that stuff, and so when I became a teenager, I didn't quite understand that that love of the earth could be turned into a way to also contribute to community, and it was this job at the Food Project uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where we turned vacant lots into gardens, and we ran a 40-acre vegetable farm and fed that food to women who were victims of domestic violence, survivors of domestic violence. And there was something just so right about that. Like, I can be here taking care of this earth that I love and produce this food and have it nourish people who need it the most in the community. Like, if I can do this good thing, this simple good thing, then I must be somebody. Like, I must be worthy of of being here and, and the breath that I take in and the place I take up on the planet. So it was, it ended up being this affirmation of uh, my own value at the time. And, and that's what catapulted me forward to continue looking for farm jobs after I finished up the project. So then what's, where are you now in your relationship to yourself? <laughs> it's always a process, you know, it's always a process of, for me, in terms of self-acceptance, you know, something that I'm grappling with right now is, I feel like in our culture, and especially maybe in social justice culture, we get real attached to this idea of a hero or an exceptional leader. And 
sometimes I feel as though folks are either pedestalizing and admiring or imagining that I'm something different than a regular human being, and at the same time maybe externalizing their own longing for meaning, and so can act in violent ways towards me. But, but neither of those feel like being fully seen. And so what I'm trying to do is carve out space for those authentic relationships because, like, fans and friends are, are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I, we all need, I need those authentic relationships where I'm valued for just being and not necessarily for doing. And I try to honor, you know, other folks in my community with that same valuing of their full humanity because I'm not quite strong enough to always believe it all by myself. I have to have some reflections out there. Yeah, yeah, that just feels so. That's that's really true. That we in in pedestalling people, we diminish them actually. Yeah, as you said, in they're in, 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 in not seeing you, but at, and at the same time. There's something really special about you, so it's not to take that away either, you know. Um, so how I discovered your book, I think I told you in an email I wrote to you, and I said my I was on the call with um, on the phone with my cousin who's in London, who was saying I found this amazing book, you know, and I bought it for <laughs> my husband. I won't name the names. You know, bought it for D. I bought it for my husband, and it's called Farming Around Black. And I said, "Who's it from?" So I said must be Leah's book and she goes yeah and it's that's your reach and um and way beyond that so there is something you're carrying something on behalf of a number of us unbeknown to us that's such an important message and an important work so uh, there's something about finding a balance because there is something to honor there in what you're what you're doing and the gift that you're giving and at the same time i hear that you want to be seen for your humanity because you're not you're not this like perfect human being either you know so how do you how do you right right no that's that's so well put and also you know to remember that you know martin luther king was not the civil rights movement neither was rosa parks you know there's a whole bunch of people engaged that make the work possible and similarly you know while i do a lot of the storytelling for our collective there's eight of us who work there and then another hundred and you know hundreds and hundreds more who are engaged in some way so i think that's part of it too is kind of democratizing the credit you know yes yes to one another and i think the other piece is you know, of course I love, I cherish the work of Soul Fire Farm. I love the book. I loved every moment of writing it. I believe the message is special. And one of the reasons I believe that it's having more reach than I anticipated is not so much because there's something exceptional, exceptional about me as an individual, but, but because I deeply listened to what my ancestors and what the earth and all the forces of creation were asking me to do with this life. And so this work is in alignment with something that's beyond me. And I, I believe, you know, I believe in my heart that that resonates. And, and you can tell when you run into a person who's doing something not just because, or not even because they want fame or fortune or, or credit or because they think they're really smart and have this great idea, but, but because they're listening to something beyond and following that call. Um, so that's what I try. That's what I think I mostly do, and that's certainly why it's how I aspire to live my life. Right, and, and so how do you hear it? 
because some people will be like, how comes I'm not here in a court? Um, because <laughs> right. I think you're, I think there's something really right and true there that when you are following your purpose, when you are being, well, you know, being used in that way, you know, I do feel, you know, when it's, there are times when um, we do our work and it's like, I really feel like I, I, I was here, but I wasn't here, you know what I mean? Like I was being, that something was being, I'm a vessel for the, for what came out, you know? Um, how do you hear the call for you? What do you, when do you know that that's been spoken to you? How, what's that process? I love this question because we're crossing over into the non-scientific realm here. But um, for me personally, um, and this might not be for everyone, but I feel like when I'm in direct contact with nature, when my bare feet are on the soil, when my hands are against the trunk of a tree, and I get very quiet, so quiet that the chatter of my mind stops, you know, then I can hear voices all around me. And they don't necessarily speak English, you know, they, they operate like a feeling, an intuition, a clarity. But I find that in nature. And I've been fortunate enough over my lifetime to receive mentorship from elders who practice nature-based religions. So Haitian voodoo, Yoruba Ifa. Um, and beyond just direct listening, we actually have tools. We have divination tools to confirm whether what we think we're hearing is the thing we're actually hearing. And so I practice some divination. I have friends of mine who are uh, clergy in African traditional religions who practice divination. And so if I'm like, I think this is the direction I should go. I think I'm supposed to write this book or I'm supposed to do this. I can, I can check in and like, get a very clear yes or no. So that's a, a concrete, maybe more concrete answer. No, that's great. That's great because it is, um, and there's, and there's real, tr you've developed the trust in it is also what I can hear, you know, um, as well as looked for where you can enhance your skills in that area. Like, so you're not, do you know what I mean? So you're not alone in it too. Right. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I'm, um, I wanted to, the, the, one of the questions that I've been asking my guests in this kind of, call it my, this season is around courage and, um, and, and courageous moments being times when we may take an action in the moment that's sourced from love and maybe on behalf of ourselves or on behalf of others. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you think about your life, when, when has there been a courageous moment for you and, and that you'd like to share? Oh, wow. I feel like it's in the small things, honestly, Shirley, because I'm a scared person. I'm conflict averse and timid and can get small really easily. And it's been a, a journey for me, you know, even just in the past months and years to find my boundaries and my no. You know, like, I'm that person who, if I'm working on a team with you and you just don't do anything, I'll just quietly do your work and not even tell you that it's bothering me and that I'm not sleeping and staying up to get it done. I'm like, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, but ultimately, that's suicide. It's so self-detrimental. It's detrimental to the relationship. It's inauthentic. It's dishonest. All of that. But it takes courage to say, hey, you know, this action that you're doing is causing me harm. Or to say, hey, I know you want me to do a thing but I'm not available because I'm going to my daughter's birthday 
And you might be mad at me about that, but she's more important. And so it's been in those small moments of finding my no, finding my boundary, finding my ouch, you hurt me, that have been the biggest acts of courage for me. And that's been, you, it has, and it has, you can see the development over time in that. Yeah, absolutely. I know, you know we all carry our traumas, and so depending what hurt us when we were little, you know, often that translates into what makes us afraid when we're older. Right, right. And I, but I also love how you shared that because, you know, sometimes we do feel like we do imagine that moments of courageous moments are much the big ones. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like something happened, and I had to make a. But actually, it's happening to us all the time. The moments of the, our own individual acts of bravery. Um, we are presented with those opportunities all the time, and um, so I love how you shared. I love what you shared. I love what you shared. Um, Thank you. I have another um, one of the other questions that I want to ask you is, and this is kind of linked to ancestors, or you know, since my mum passed, I have been more present to the gifts that she gave me, and. Um, uh, things that she used to say, um, things that I let that resonate with me. I think, oh my god, I totally got that from her. And and so I have a question about what did your mama say? And it could be your immediate mum, it could be an elder woman in your life um, as you were growing up that has that that informs you. Mm. My mother's amazing. So my mother. Reverend Dr. Adele Smith-Penniman was one of the students who went down in and around Freedom Summer to register black voters in the South uh, during the Civil Rights Movement and was part of trying to save a baby on the brink of starvation uh, in South Carolina. She's just incredible. And as you ask this question, I can't actually think of what she said, but I watched what she did. And she would... You know, when the wars were going on, we were out there protesting with the signs and involved in the church community and social justice committees and all of that. And I just watched her and I saw her act with integrity and act towards something bigger than herself. Uh, so I really credit my mother for setting an example of, of how non-optional it is to participate in community healing. Oh, wow. Well, honor her and the gift that she's given over and over again right over and over again wow thank you thank you so my last i know we have to um bring it to a close so i you know i always ask my guests if you had to speak to the younger you and you look back at leah who was maybe struggling in, in in school and in terms of her you know that community of which she was a part what would you say to her i'd probably just give her a hug because she wouldn't listen to me she wouldn't listen to anything <laughs> you know but i think i would i would just say hold on child like you are not alone it feels like you're alone but you are absolutely not alone all your ancestors are at your back and the Mother Earth is firm beneath your feet, and the Arisha are whispering you messages of encouragement from the sky, and very, very soon, child, you will be able to hear and see all this support around you. Um, so just hold on. 
Yeah. That was gorgeous, man. Thank you. Oh, it's been such a joy to talk with you. And you. I wish we'd, you know, maybe we come back another time, you know. Um, this is so, there's so much um, that you've shared today that's so important and so, well, it's not even just important, it's critical. I feel like it's, it's like this is a conversation that's critical to our survival, you know. Yeah. And um, I know we don't, that sounds really dramatic. But that's part of the problem because we don't relate to it like that, you know. So we, as right. a, a broad we, so you know, farming while black. I recommend the book. It's just so beautiful, a practical guide to liberation on the land. And so I'll put the link for that in the show notes as well. And you know, I wish you all the best with with this with this book and your work. And and yeah, I'm gonna wait till it gets warmer. And then let's see. I'm gonna to head to the to to the farm with me and the kids. I think would be and Dan would be just be lovely to take a trip. You know, be, oh, it'd be great. Yeah. Wear your muckles. Yeah. T- well, I'd have to buy some to be honest. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I have some for you to borrow. <laughs> just like yeah, I don't often you don't often like find muckles. You won't often find me on a farm. But um, I have been known to, to go to get there on occasion. Thank you so much for being on the show. And, um, and I look forward to when we actually get to spend some time together. Well, thank you. And you have a blessed day. Stay warm out there. Oh, yeah, I will. Wow. It's so cold. Thank you. I hope that you have been inspired to shift gears in your own life. You know, Angela Davis said famously, I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. And I hear that really powerfully in um, Leah and and Leah's work and what she's committed to doing around um, the transforming the food system. Uh, You know, that food is a social justice issue and she makes it really clear how, how that is. And it's something that we all need to pay far more attention to so I really appreciate her bringing our awareness and our attention to it I invite you to really buy her book I said it's a beautiful book it's so informative you know whether you know you may think I'm not I don't want to be a black farmer I don't want to be a farmer but to for us to be informed is much more than that for us to understand and shift our relationship to the land as we as we um spoke of as well so you know it's a great book so it's available on amazon i'll put the link in the show notes well it's available in many different places but i'll put the link in the show notes so that you can you can buy the book and i encourage you to do that if you are enjoying the show please rate and review the show on itunes and share the show with as many people as possible think of people who are inspired by um my guests on the show and then share the show with them i always love to hear from you too so please contact me through instagram at shirley mccalpine you can find me on my website shirleymccalpine.com forward slash contact me or you can find the she's got drive facebook page as well and send me messages there She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Thank you again for 
listening. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>